0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of 20-Minute Playbook by Outlier Academy, where we decode what iconic founders, renowned investors, best-selling authors, and outlier thinkers have mastered, and what they've learned along the way. In each episode, we dive deep to uncover the tools, strategies, habits, routines, and hacks that we can all apply in our own work and lives, all in about 20 minutes. I'm Daniel Scrivener, and on the show today, I'm joined by serial entrepreneur Justin Mares. Justin is the founder of a number of companies, including the bone broth maker Kettle & Fire, America's number one keto brand, Perfect Keto, and the non-alcoholic wine brand, Shirley Wines. Each of these companies alone does tens of millions of dollars in revenue each year. And on top of that, Justin is also a venture partner at Long Journey Ventures. You can find a searchable transcript of this episode, as well as our episode guide, with ways to dive deeper at outlieracademy.com 143. That's outlieracademy.com 143. Please enjoy my conversation with serial entrepreneur and investor Justin Mares. Justin, I'm thrilled to have you on 20 Minute Playbook. Thank you so much for the time and for coming on.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me.
0: Let's jump straight into the questions. I always love to start by asking about a recent fascination. What have you been fascinated or obsessed by recently? What can't you stop thinking about?
1: I have been really interested in reading about and kind of fascinated by environmental chemicals lately. So I'm, I'm like writing about this in my next newsletter that'll come out in like november but i I effectively think that the explosion in environmental chemicals that we're exposed to on a for most people on like a daily basis is quite possibly responsible for like a huge number of things around like autoimmune conditions allergies you know, obesity, is all like the explosion in chronic conditions that we see. I, I just think it's, it's this huge, huge, huge thing that almost no one is talking about. Uh, and so that's been like a recent fascination for me, for sure.
0: Yeah, I know one of the points you make in uh, one of your newsletters I read to prepare for this was around lead causing potentially a wave of crime in the 80s and 90s, which honestly, I was yeah. like, what? <laughs> is that one of the things? And can you talk yeah, a little so, bit about that? So that's
1: something called the lead crime hypothesis, which is basically this idea that uh, if you look at um, if you look at like crime uh, crime data, basically, it correlates exceptionally strongly with the prevalence of lead in the water supply. And so, people like there was this big thing in um, in in New York and many of like the inner cities in the '90s that where people were like, "Oh my god, crime is exploding! What's going on?" And then it sort of just stopped. And very famously, like the uh, the original authors of Freakonomics when it came out in like the early To mid two thousands, they posited that it was due to I believe like abortions catching up and basically like low risk like high like pregnancies that were from lower income people where you know babies were more likely to be um, have criminal activity or whatever like that seemed they they said did it. I actually think that the lead crime hypothesis seems to fit much much better. Where basically if you expose like prisoners, kids, people in other countries, whatever. Like lead has extremely well-known neurotoxic effects and it massively impacts behavior. And so I think that basically like when we started instituting controls on lead, both from a drinking water and a gasoline standpoint, uh, you started to see all of these things, like a lot of these like criminal issues that most people would say are social issues, just sort of disappeared overnight, Uh, not disappeared, but, you know, normalized. And I suspect that we're seeing a lot of these things today. <laughs> like, I think that we have a lot of these environmental contaminants that are impacting testosterone, fertility, autoimmune things, you know, all like any, the massive, massive gamut of things that basically is due to environmental toxins that we don't fully understand and like can't really measure right now. So yeah, that's, that's my depressing thing I've been into lately. <laughs>
0: No, I mean, it's fascinating. We will link to the research that you cite and link to in your newspaper in the show notes for people that want to learn more. Um, It's, you know, it's fascinating. And I think it's also fascinating that it's changing so quickly. Like one of the things I remember reading about, I've got a filling in one of my teeth that of course I got in the nineties that uh, has, I think, lead or something like that in there. And there's a bunch of weird stuff, like even getting an MRI can cause it to emit. And so then you might get a burst of these toxins in your body. So I don't know. It's just fascinating. Uh, You know, lead's an interesting example, tooth fillings is an interesting example, but it's a long, totally. long list. Yeah. <laughs>
1: There's an Endless list practically.
0: <laughs> yeah. I want to ask a couple questions about um, some of the companies you've started, but I want to start with a very different question first, which is if people listening could shadow you for a day from the moment you wake up until you go to bed, as creepy as that might be, what do you think they would be most surprised by? And I think what I'm looking for there is things that are interesting about the way you live your life, habits, routines.
1: I think people would be surprised by two things. One, uh, at least right now, I think they'd be surprised by how I'm not like working all of the time. I think that, you know, I work hard and I try and like work very focused and deeply when I do, but certainly I have heard from like multiple people that I know that are like, you're doing a lot of stuff and yet like you're still playing pickleball and you're still like going to the gym with friends and have a social life and all this stuff. Uh, So I think that's one thing. I think the other thing is I'm not a very systematic person. Like I think that, there's a lot of ink spilled about productivity and, you know, the best tools and the best methods and all this sort of stuff. And basically like I have a cup of coffee in the morning. I like write six to do's per day on like a piece of paper and a notebook that I carry with me all the time. And I just like try and crank through that. And I handle a bunch of email inputs and stuff like that all the time. I don't really do anything crazy. I think the, probably the craziest thing is like, I don't do any sort of like, Adderall, Ritalin, you know, Vyvanse, any of those things. And the closest thing that I do to really taking like a performance enhancing substance, I would say is I'll occasionally use like a, a ketone ester or something like that to help with like focus and and sort of knocking out like a chunk of writing or a chunk of deep thinking or whatever it is. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Huge plus one to Ketone Aster. I think it's amazing. (laughs) I usually take it before I do one of these podcasts just for, you know, mental performance.
1: Nice. I probably should. <laughs> I mean, it's,
0: I, I would say, so We I had the, the uh, founder, Michael Brandt of HVMN on the podcast. And one of the examples he shared, I thought was fascinating was, um, you know, that the US military, particularly the Navy SEALs, were looking at doing it mostly for the mental benefits because what they would have SEALs basically do is just insanely intense work. So an example would be, you know, climbing up at altitude over the course of say four or five hours and your body's then in this energy deprived state. And they found with, with ketones that basically the mental acuity was still there, which obviously is important. Like you get to your mission site, you still have something to do that you haven't done yet. Um, Anyway, so just kind of fascinating tangent. I want to ask one question. You know, you talked about that your friends are um, surprised by how unbusy you are. What do you credit that to? Is it that you've built a great team that can take a lot of the heavy lifting? Is it just the approach you take to the businesses you run?
1: I think two things. I think that like, one, we have an amazing team across all the companies. The, The teams are fantastic. And we have leaders that are like very responsible and uh, are incentivized, they have ownership and, you know, it's, it's it's theirs. And so I definitely think that that's like, people are just number one. And I think that finding the right people and giving them ownership and, re- you know, both authority and responsibility and then shared incentives is is like a huge chunk of it. The second thing I would say is that just outside of hiring good people, like I have a philosophy that... I want to do this kind of stuff like I want to start companies I want to try and like make a dent in in the food system and improve like the trajectory of of health in the US and I think that to do that like I have to be healthy myself and I think that this is like such a big problem that I think it'll take you know 30 40 50 years to try and like even make a dent in it uh, if I even can and so I think that I'm approaching this much more as like a marathon not a sprint and I think that if I am healthy and happy and balanced and not killing myself, you know, I could probably kill myself for like a decade. I don't know that I can do it for 30 years. And so I'm sort of trying to like build a life that I'm both happy with and excited by, but also one that can lead to larger amounts of output over a sustained period, as opposed to like a bunch of output in a very short period where I then like burn out or get depressed or, you know, get sick or whatever.
0: Yeah. I love that perspective. In your newsletter, you talk a lot about compounding and compounding in multiple areas of your life. So it seems like that clearly threads that needle. If your goal is to compound, you want to do that over a really long period of time. You can't burn yourself out. You can't treat it like it's a sprint. That doesn't lead anywhere great. Uh, you're the founder of multiple companies, including Kettle and Fire, Perfect Keto, Shirley Wines, uh, a bunch of others. I'm just going to name a couple. <laughs> um, looking back, one of the questions I want to ask was, what do you wish someone sat you down and told you before founding, uh, say, Kettle and Fire or pick one of those companies? And what I'm looking for there is kind of now that you've are multiple years into you know, these journeys, what, uh, what do you wish someone had imparted on you or reminded you or told you that would have maybe prepared you for what you're about to go through?
1: Yeah, I I don't know that anyone could have, like, said anything that would have prepared me. I'll zoom out and I'll say this. Like, I feel like I'm at a very reflective spot in my life. And so probably a lot of stuff that I'm going to say comes from more of, like, a philosophical standpoint and less from, like, a a super tactical standpoint. But I think for me, like, I, I wish someone had told me to, and maybe this sounds cliche, but, like, to sort of just trust the process a little bit more. I think that I spent a lot of my time early on trying to be like, oh my God, I need this to work. Oh my God, I need this to work. Like just like a lot of anxiety and like self-doubt, a lot of candidly like emotional and mental energy that wasn't very fun to deal with. And, And a lot of that was rooted in like, I need this to work. And if I don't, like I'm a failure, I'll be broke. I will have to go work at X company, whatever it is. And I just wish that, you know, that's a, Starting a company, especially like at twenty six when I started working on Kettle and Fire, it's a pretty fun, special time in, in your life. You know what I mean? Uh, and I kind of wish that I had just been able to internalize a little bit better. That it's not necessarily like, Will this work? Won't it? I'm super grateful it did, but but I, I wish that I'd enjoyed the ride a little bit better and also just appreciated that like, hey, I'm doing the right stuff and you know, I'm I'm taking swings at starting things. I'm meeting with people, learning, I'm reading. I'm like becoming a better version of what I think it takes to be like a good startup founder and operator. And I wish I'd like allowed myself a little bit more leeway, like kind of like the, the person who's trying to like lose 20 pounds probably would be much happier if they felt good about themselves every time they went to the gym, rather than being like every gym trip, they still haven't lost 20 pounds and they're mad at themselves. Yeah, I think I was like very much in the latter camp, <laughs> not the first one. Uh, so, so I wish I'd changed that a little bit.
0: Yeah, I mean that really resonates with me. I think everyone that has big ambitions struggles with that a lot. <laughs> you've you've also raised you know more than twenty million in venture capital for Kettle and Fire. You're a venture partner at Long Journey Ventures, and you're an active uh, angel investor now. You've got um, a syndicate um, on AngelList, and you're thinking about doing more there. What are some of the biggest lessons you've learned as an investor, and what have been some of the biggest surprises, positive or negative?
1: I think that uh, Peter Thiel talks a lot about like, there's this whole thing of like being a contrarian investor, which will, I think one is useful, but I think secondly, like you really have to be contrarian and right. And if I look at like my best investments, investing, I think is all about like finding assets that are basically mispriced or that you think, you know, are cheap now and will be more expensive in the future. I think that people are really good at pricing things that are easy to understand or that are kind of obvious, and like you see that in you know early stage SaaS valuations being high the last couple of years, uh, you can now get debt and borrow against. You, know, you can basically get debt uh, to acquire a company, like because you can underwrite SaaS assets, you can underwrite e-commerce, you can underwrite all these things, which means valuations are like pretty reasonable. And like even if you hit a hit a great win, you know, invest in a SaaS company at a twenty million valuation, and they sell for hundred. It's like you took on a lot of risk and you got like a 5X, you know? I think that the thing that I kind of look for pretty systematically at this point, I would say, and I've learned a lot from the team at Long Journey about this. Uh, this is not like a Justin original at all. Those people are much, much better investors than I am. Uh, but I, I think that the thing that I've learned to appreciate is that people will systematically undervalue and write off things that are super weird or they don't understand. And like, if you can basically look at something that everyone says is really weird and actually tell yourself or figure out like, oh, I think that, yes, this is weird, but I think there's like a small chance that X, Y, and Z works. I think that's that's like probably how you become a, a good investor. I think that this applies to trading. I think this applies, applies to a lot of stuff, but like early in COVID, for example, I basically in end of January, early February of 2020, I was like seeing people start to talk about COVID. And I was like, okay, I think that this is a, people are probably giving this like a 1% chance that this becomes like a big deal. I think the probability is probably closer to like 10 to 20%. And so I like sold all of my stocks basically uh, in February, 2020, I should have bought puts, but like got lazy and I didn't, which was really dumb. But anyway, um, you know, basically like sold all my stocks when, and when the market crashed, I was like, Great, that was a good decision. Uh, I, you know, but it, on the off chance that I was wrong, like I could have just bought back in in April and like would have been fine. Um, and and so I think that thinking about like where do you have a sense for you know the world thinks that X is a probability of ten percent, you think it's closer to thirty or forty. I think that those are like the types of bets that are really interesting to make, where you can predict a future or see a future where if X works. It would be huge, and I think that X has a higher pers- higher chance of working than mo- the average person you know and like the that things that are weird enough that but where you have a thesis on why the rest of the world thinks this is un- in- not probable, but you think it's slightly less improbable, I think are like the best types of investments to make that was a lot of word sauce. <laughs>
0: No, no, no. I was. I think it's a. It's a difficult point to make because it's very nuanced. I think you did a great job, especially in kind of identifying the framework. The only thing I was going to add to that is I've noticed this a lot in venture capital. So you and I both have done some, you know, investing in venture capital. One of the things that always boggles my mind is you kind of understand that you're making your your job if you're if you're doing it right is to bet is to make kind of like long odds bets that if you're right it performs really really well and yet the number of people i come across that try to look for deals that make sense meaning you're in, you know by in venture you're you're trying to bet on things that if they were to work would be massively successful but instead people try to bet on stuff that absolutely will work which just means the return profile is really 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 low and it's amazing to me i just come across this all the time and it just continues to blow my mind. I think it says a lot about human psychology (laughs) and and fear.
1: Oh, hundred percent. I mean, I completely, I also think that, you know, to be on the other side of that, not really, but slightly is there are a lot of horrible ideas out there that don't make sense. And so like, as a, there, there's this weird like needle that you have to thread where you're like, I think this is, you know, like as as someone who does angel investing and is now um, involved in venture, it's like, we probably see we see a lot of what I would just say, like things that we don't think make any sense at all. And our job is basically to look at a hundred deals, ninety-eight of which don't make sense, and choose the one or two that make sense, but that everyone else around us also doesn't think makes any sense. It's like a very weird, you know, and then we're often wrong and it's it's just like a very weird thing. <laughs>
0: Yeah. I mean, if there's anything you learn from venture, I feel like it's a lot of intellectual humility (laughs) because it's like being in the boxing ring. It's a difficult full contact sport. I want to ask a couple other questions. One, you know, given the health focused mission of your companies uh, that you founded, as well as the topics you cover in your Substack newsletter, I imagine you have a pretty interesting health stack of products or supplements and maybe not. And so, you know, maybe it's not so much on the supplement side, but maybe it's more on the way you exercise. Can you just share a bit about how you approach exercise and diet philosophically and talk about maybe tactics? Some of what you do?
1: Totally. A couple of things here. I actually started uh, recently working with something called Fount Bio, um, which I don't know if you've seen, but like this is my like roll of pills that I have to take a couple stacks of every day. Um, so started working with them, which has been interesting. The, I would say my overall philosophy on health and nutrition has been pretty similar for almost a decade now, which is basically like, Try and eat foods that, that I, I think that the ancestral health lens just still makes a lot of sense to me. Like eat foods that your ancestors would eat, uh, not too much of them, and like try and avoid processed stuff, uh, gluten, vegetable oils, seed oils, whatever you want to call them. Um, you know, and and the class of, of basically highly processed, mostly packaged foods that I think are make, making Americans sick. And so I try and stay pretty far away from them, and then eat almost entirely like versions of foods that are whole as minimally processed as possible and do so within like, I call it like an eight hour eating window is basically my, my overall like diet principle.
0: Do you do anything with exercise? You know, I know from reading the newsletter, you know, you're big into lifts and you had a goal of doing three lifts a week and doing 300 lifts a year. I think this was last year. How do you approach that on the exercise side? It seems like maybe ancestral as well too.
1: It's so funny. Like I'm very into all of this stuff, but I also am like into working and building companies and so like unlike a lot of the other people that i know in the health and wellness world i would not put myself in like an exercise optimizer you know mindset or anything like that and so like i got a trainer uh he programs like three different lifts for me a week i bike almost bike or play pickleball or like swim or do something almost every other day and that's basically it and like i'm not the strongest guy i'm not like the 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 most jacked guy at the gym but you know, I'd, I'd say that I'm like definitely athletic and fit. And I think that, I think that lifting weights is one of those things that if you don't do it, like you almost certainly should be doing it just because from like a posture energy level, like increasing your base metabolic rate, I just think that it's possibly the most useful thing that you can do for yourself from a health standpoint. And I think for me, I've found that, you know, five times a week lifting I would end up skipping one to two sessions, which was basically not useful. And so now I just, I stick with three and have made the internal decision to like work more than is probably totally optimal for me from a health standpoint, but fine. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. That's the trade-off I want to make.
0: Yeah. And I would just add on the kind of lift part. uh, I totally agree. If you're going to do any type of workout, I think a lift makes sense for all of those reasons. But the other reason is just we we don't move enough. Most people don't move enough. And so if you're going to go in the gym and do something, why not try to go heavier and do compound exercises and use your whole body?
1: That is another point that I think is interesting is I actually think many more people should be moving intentionally and not, I don't mean just like stretching, but just like moving you know doing intense exercises where you're you're increasing certain joints capacity and ability to like move through points uh like like hip cars things like this like i I started working with a functional mobility person about a year ago and just working with him and having him give me exercises so that like my lower back is moving well my my hips are moving well my my shoulder joints have like a greater range of motion has been a total game changer from like a a pain and mobility standpoint in general. So I, I think that's one thing that, like, I do that way more people should probably do.
0: Yeah, agreed. I'd love to talk about areas where you have an edge or a superpower. What do you think of as your superpowers? You know, you have quite a number of businesses. You have quite a number of things that you do. How do those superpowers or areas that you have an edge show up in your day to day work or life?
1: I think probably my superpower is if I if I did like. Really dial it in. I would say two things. I think I'm pretty good at identifying trends for whatever reason. I think that I'm a curious person who like has a bunch of weird friends, and so uh, to be totally honest, and so I think that like you know my friends, I I was like meeting with and having conversations about Bitcoin in like 2011. Um, You know, we were talking about like 3D printing then. I was like talking about paleo stuff. I got into that in 2011 as well. Now I have friends that are talking about environmental chemicals and like three years ago we were talking about not drinking. It's just like, I have very weird friends. And so, um, and and so I think that that's one superpower actually is I am able sometimes it seems to be able to be like, oh, my friends are talking about X. Maybe there's an opportunity here. And because generally like the things I'm interested in are so not well talked about or well-known there's a lot of opportunities to do something entrepreneurial in in a given space. And so that I think the second thing that I'm pretty I, I would say is like one of my superpowers is um, I am pretty good at like having an idea and quickly like moving it to a point where I'm like testing it, talking to customers, getting some sort of validation and just like pushing it in a direction and and providing activation energy to get something off the ground. like I think that's something that I do pretty well where it's like had the idea for kettle and fire 2 weeks later there was a landing page up 2 weeks after that we had like actual customers that were paying us and 3 weeks after that we had like started looking for a co-packer and trying to like figure out how we can make this product and i think that that is a uh, yeah i think that that's like that speed is sort of another superpower i would say
0: yeah, totally agree. I want to ask one more question about habits and then I'll uh, we'll ask a couple of closing questions. The question I want to ask about habit is what tiny habit has had the biggest positive impact on your life and work?
1: I actually would say that probably something I've started to do lately that I really enjoy is t- talking about like moving more regularly. I've been trying to do Pomodoro's just from a work standpoint, but where you know, the five minute break is either me stretching or doing push-ups or doing pull-ups or doing like the just a little walk outside, something like that. It's super small, but it just like helps break up the day from a work standpoint and get more movement and you know, exercise in. And I've been surprised at like how well that that has worked for me from a focus and just like general happiness standpoint. <laughs>
0: So it's almost like sneaking in little five minutes where you're doing something with your body. It doesn't have to be hard. I mean, you can do push-ups, you can do pull-ups, you can also do stretches. How many of those do you get in on a good day?
1: Like three to six, somewhere in there. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Which seems great. great. I mean, that moves the needle. That's still, what, 20 minutes, 25 minutes of working out, you know, in the day or using your body.
1: Totally, man. it's great. And then, you know, I'll lift on top of that and whatnot.
0: Yeah. Andrew, her, uh, the founder of found that was on the show kind of does something similar. He talked about having trap bars and just little exercise equipment throughout his house and kind of forcing himself when he leaves his office and tries to go to the bathroom or goes to the kitchen to try to pass by that equipment and make himself do at least a couple of reps. Um, I think it's a great, super practical idea.
1: Yep. I have dumbbells next to my desk for that reason.
0: (laughs) Yeah, there you go. I want to ask about favorite books. You know, in uh, I went through many of your uh, newsletters. You know, you have a newsletter on Stubstack called The Next, uh, which has a bunch of, you know, um, I don't know how long you've been doing it. There's a bunch of great posts um, that I got to go through, but you talk a lot about books that you've read. You know, I know you're a big fan of The Three-Body Problem. It sounds like you read The Great Bridge recently, which seems really fascinating. Um, So I bet you have a bunch to pull from. When you think about books that have had an outsized impact on you or that you regularly recommend or give away to others? What comes to mind? What do you think people should know about and read?
1: So the three body problem is definitely one of them. I think that that is one of the most like mind expanding books I've ever come across in my life. It's just utterly fascinating. It's so well-written. It's so, so good and just made me think in a different way. Um, I think another thing that, that I kind of really recommend and enjoyed, uh, is I recently read a book called The Company, which was just like a history of the corporation and sort of, uh, I'm, I'm interested in these, these like atomic organizational units in society, like, you know, the corporation where it doesn't feel like a technology in the same way that like the light bulb was or something. But you basically saw the, the invention, if you want to call it that, of the limited liability company. And that just like spurred a crazy amount of innovation once people could actually afford to socially take on risk in a way that wasn't, it didn't mean their lives were ruined. You know what I mean? Um, And so I'm, I'm actually very, very interested in reading right now about reading books that talk about similar uh, sort of like social technologies. I don't know if there's a better word for them. Cause I think that we're at a spot right now where like a lot of our institutions are maybe not working super well from a societal standpoint. And I'm interested in just like, what sort of social technologies could be created, invented, promoted, whatever, um, to try and address some of the some of the challenges that we have today.
0: Yeah. It's fascinating on on the LLC. You know, it's, it's interesting to think as well, too, that, you know, I don't think anyone would argue that there's a lot still broken or that could be improved about how companies work, how companies are structured or corporate law works on and on and on. And yet just getting the basic trade-offs and structure, right, obviously has enabled so much positive good. It's kind of just amazing to think on that, that things can be both deeply broken and deeply right at the same time.
1: (laughs) A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, it's like, You know, it's like any relationship or family or whatever. It's like you could point to a relationship or family and go like, wow, that's super broken or super messed up in X, Y, and Z way. And yet uh, they're also some of like the best things that we participate in as humans. It's just, I think it's just being human, you know?
0: Yeah, no, it's true. Well, yeah, and our humanness shows up in everything yeah. we do for,
1: you know, for better or worse. <laughs> That's for sure.
0: <laughs> I want to ask one final question. Uh, and this one's, you know, a little, maybe a little bizarre. You might have to reframe it in your mind. But the way I typically ask it, if you could go back to the start of your career and whisper some advice in your ear, uh, words of wisdom, a reminder, what advice would you give yourself? So this could be even for you going back to college. Uh, is there any advice if you could go back in time you would give yourself?
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, the cliche is probably like, buy Bitcoin or something like that in 20, you know, 2009. Yeah. Right. So yeah, so that'd be one, but, but I mean, more seriously, I think that I, I wish that I had, I would probably give myself the advice to like, I wish that I'd had a bit lower of an ego when I was younger and had been willing to like really lean in and learn from some super smart people and be like, I'm not the guy, I'm not an entrepreneur, I'm not, I'm just learning, you know, and like fully subsume my ego to a process of learning from people that were way smarter than me. Uh, I think that I did an okay job of that, but probably could have done much better. And I think could have learned and been exposed to much more opportunities had I been like, slightly more open to following the like amazing people and amazing opportunities rather than being like, I have to do all this myself, I have to be the entrepreneur and the guy that starts X, Y, and Z thing. Uh th- that would probably be my, my biggest change.
0: Yeah, it's fascinating. Uh, perfect note to end on. Thank you so much for coming on, Justin. I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Thank you so much for listening. You can follow Justin Mares on Twitter at JWMARES. That's JW Mares. And you can sign up for his newsletter at justinmares.com slash newsletter. You can also find a searchable transcript of this episode as well as our episode guide with ways to dive deeper at outlieracademy.com slash one hundred and forty-three. That's outlieracademy.com slash one four three. For more from Justin Mayors, listen to episode 144, where we decode how he's built and scaled multiple companies to tens of millions of dollars in revenue, including Kettle and Fire, Perfect Keto, and Shirley Wines. Justin shares the framework he's used for all of his businesses, from how he picks trends to how he creates products and brands to own that trend and how he scales them, as well as everything he's learned from the highs and lows of building these businesses, from why consumer brands are cash management businesses, to how he creates brands and categories, to why he believes in hiring a financial leader as early as possible within his companies. You can find that episode at outlieracademy.com slash 144. For more from Outlier Academy, follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, and TikTok. Subscribe to our free weekly newsletter at cheatcheatnewsletter.com. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Outlier Academy, where you can find all of our video interviews, including our favorite clips from every episode, or visit outlieracademy.com for more incredible 20-minute playbook episodes. We'll see you right here with a brand new episode next Tuesday.